Let me pray as we start this morning. Let's pray together. Our great wise God, we acknowledge and confess that you are the source of all wisdom. We need your wisdom. May you give us it this day. And as we come to your words, may you incline our hearts to it, not to anything else this world has to offer us. May you open our eyes to see wonderful things as we read your word this morning. Unite our hearts in reverent fear of you and satisfy our hearts in your steadfast love. We ask and we pray in the name of Christ our King. Amen. This morning we are in Mark chapter 1 from verse 40, a slight change to uh, what was earlier told. So from chapter 1 verse 40 to verse 17 of chapter 2. And if using a church Bible, that's on page 1003. Mark chapter 1 from verse 40. And a leper came to him, that is Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I, I will be clean. And immediately, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there's no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bring to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they'd made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, Your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? Is he blaspheming? Sorry, he is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in the spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, 
but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Is it urgent or is it important? In my work with students with UCCF, this is what we got taught on day one to think. If someone rings you, is it urgent or is it important? Why distinguish between the two? Well, because something which is urgent, something which means we have to act reactively, isn't necessarily important. Isn't something of utmost importance, something which a whole work is based around. And things which are important don't necessarily always look urgent. Is it urgent or is it important? In our passages, we see Jesus answering this question as he meets with people. In Mark's gospel, he likes to write in threes, which I've got these three scenes here, sort of like a sandwich. We've got the middle bit, the meaty bit, the story of the paralytic. And then two stories either side, which demonstrates the main point in the middle, the story of the leper and Levi. So as we go through the text, we're going to focus in on the middle section. We've got four points. The first two points from the middle section. Forgiveness is our greatest need. Forgiveness is found in Christ alone. Forgiveness brings people in. And forgiveness is at the heart of Jesus' mission. So let's look at the beginning of chapter 2, where we see forgiveness is our greatest need. I love this story here in Mark chapter 2. The build-up to it is quite something. Jesus has been traveling around, proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand, saying, repent and believe in the gospel. And he's caused quite a stir. Have a look at verse 28 of chapter 1. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region in Galilee. One thirty-three it says the whole city gathered at the door to see Jesus. And in one thirty-five, Jesus rose early to go to a desolate place to pray. And everyone is searching for him. And in verse 37, Simon says to him, everyone is looking for you. But notice what Jesus says in verse 38. Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. In these opening sections, we see Jesus came not primarily to heal the sick, not to exercise demons from people, but instead he came to preach the gospel that the kingdom is at hand, so repent and believe. This is Jesus' habitual activity in Mark's gospel. And we come to chapter 2, and this house is absolutely rammed. So rammed, there's not room for anyone at the door. There's not an inch inside out, and it's hot, and it's sticky, and arms are touching, and it's all a bit, oh. But none of that matters, because Jesus is here preaching to them. And the crowd are hanging on every word Jesus says. What's he going to say next? And the dust begins to fall. It's a bit annoying. It sticks to them. They brush it off. Soon dust becomes debris. And debris falling from the roof soon becomes a man being lowered on a mat. Just think, just think how busy it already is and how to make even more room shuffling back for this man being lowered from the ceiling. And as he is lowered, we see that he can't get up. 
He cannot move. He is totally paralyzed, totally reliant on others for everything that he does. From changing clothes to feeding, to cleaning after him after he's been at the toilet. On his own, this man is helpless. But here he lies at the feet of the one man who can help him. But what's Jesus going to do? You can almost feel the tension in the room. What's he going to do? What's he going to say? And then we see something totally unexpected, something quite remarkable. Son, literally my child. I'm expecting to say, don't we get up and walk? But have a look at verse 5. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. I just love to imagine, what would his friends have been like? They're up on the roof. You can imagine them shouting down saying, Jesus, it's his legs. Fix his legs. That's the problem. That's the urgent thing. He can't move. That's why we came here. Help him to walk. It's urgent. The faith that Jesus could and would heal his legs is utterly true. Jesus acknowledges this later on. There's one person pointed out to me in this passage. Jesus lacks no compassion here. We have no reason to suggest that he's not filled with compassion for this paralyzed man, filled with compassion for the needs of our fallen humanity. But Jesus saw this man had a greater need than the healing of his paralysis. To not have addressed this man's greatest need would have lacked compassion. Forgiveness was his greatest need. And forgiveness is our greatest need. So our greatest need is to be reconciled to God. Our sin separates us from him. Our rebellion against him means that his wrath is against us. And we need to be saved from the consequences of our sin. We've been learning about this with Romans, uh, with David in the morning. Sin is our greatest problem. Forgiveness, our greatest need. For all people, Universal. And this man's process was urgent. Of course it was. It's important. Of course it is. But his need for forgiveness was of utmost importance. What was true for him is also true for us and every person who has ever lived. As a church, we're looking to plant a church through in Charleston. I think the drug addict in Charleston, what's, what's his greatest need? Is it... Uh, to be freed from his abuse of drugs, his addiction to drugs? Well, the family's struggling to make ends meet. The exhausted mother, the workaholic husband, the single person desperate for a spouse. For all of them, for all of us, sin is our greatest problem. Forgiveness in Christ, our greatest need. And don't want to downplay those concerns, those worries. They're important, they matter. They matter to you, they matter to me, they matter to the Lord. But stopping drug use, gaining financial stability, having energy, our children to be happy and so on, are not their greatest needs. But isn't it wonderful if you're here today and you're a Christian, you know that your greatest need, your greatest need has been met in Christ. That if you're here today and you are a Christian, you have your sins forgiven in Christ. For any of you here today who aren't Christians, as Jesus speaks to this man on the floor, he speaks to us today. 
If you repent and believe in him, your sins are forgiven. Sin is our greatest problem. Forgiveness, our greatest needs. But forgiveness is found in Christ alone. Have a look from verse 6. We have the scribes here, this self-appointed religious elite. And you imagine them shuffling in their seats. What scandalous thing Jesus has said. First today, imagine Twitter would be out, blog posts being composed condemning Jesus. But their question in verse 7 shows just how far off they are. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Of course, that's the point, isn't it, Jesus is making here. And look at Jesus' rhetorical question in verse 9. Do you need proof that I can forgive sins? Jesus says, anyone can say it, but only I can do it. Only I can and have authority to forgive sins. Then verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. But that you may know. Here comes the proof. And he calls this man who has no muscles. He has no muscle memory. He has no signs. He has nothing. Jesus speaks recreation and says, get up. He gets up. Go home. He goes home. And isn't it wonderful that these things are written down by those who saw it? What a remarkable story we have recorded for us. What a direct answer that is to the Pharisees and scribes that only God can forgive sins. And here he is, Jesus, the Son of God, doing just that. Before we move on, let's dwell a bit longer in verse 10. Son of man, that is Jesus, has authority on earth to forgive sins. Sometimes I think it can be a struggle to remember that Jesus loves us now. He doesn't love some future version of me. He puts up with the current version of me, but then when I see him face to face, he'll love me then. You need to remember what Jesus says here. He has authority on earth to forgive sins. Our sins are forgiven from the moment we trust in Jesus. He has authority on earth. And isn't this a wonderful message we have for the world? This wonderful message we tell that forgiveness is our greatest need. Forgiveness through Christ alone. But it's a message of great offense to the world, how narrow the world says it is. We were reminded last week in Sinclair's sermon that there are many ways to be with God in one sense. One sense that's true. Everyone will stand before God. What's going to happen when you stand before him? Will you meet him having had your sins forgiven in Christ and know your sins forgiven? Or will you stand before him being known by who you are and so face the wrath you deserve for your sins? See, when we are forgiven by God, we don't get something that is forgiveness. We don't get a dollop of forgiveness. There you go. We get Christ. Forgiveness isn't like a present we get from Santa. We are getting gifts, but we don't want some mythical weird old man sitting in the corner all year round. That's how some of us might think of forgiveness. We want the thing he gives, but not the person who gives it. That's the opposite of what happens. For when you are forgiven by God, you don't get something that is forgiveness. You get Christ himself. If we cannot separate the gift of forgiveness from Jesus, the giver of it. Sin is our greatest problem. Forgiveness in Christ alone is our greatest need. In our world, it is a, a narrow thing to say. 
But have a look at how the text moves on. Have a look at these two stories either side of this. For it's something far more open than the world has to offer. Let's have a look back from uh, verse 40 of chapter 1 where we see the leper. Leprosy wasn't simply an illness but also a sentence. People were sent to live outside alone. Clothes torn, hair unkept, part of the face covered, shouting so everybody knew not to come near them. They were outside the camp and in effect lost their name, their habits, their family, their fellowship with the worshipping community. What does this leper do? Well, he breaks all custom and he comes to Jesus and he says, will you make me clean? He knows he can do it, but will you do it, Jesus? Will you make me clean? And Jesus does something truly, truly amazing. Time and time again in the Old Testament, we see that if we have something unclean and it touches something which is clean, both things become unclean. Then we have a glimpse in Isaiah. When Isaiah comes before the Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. And there was something quite remarkable there, where a coal is lifted and touches Isaiah's lips. And the coal doesn't become unclean. Instead, Isaiah becomes clean. And here we have something truly remarkable again. Jesus, the clean one, the pure one, reaches out and touches what is unclean. But he doesn't become unclean. Rather, the leper becomes clean immediately. It's as if Jesus' purity is more infectious than his leprosy. And this man is charged to go and not tell anyone, but instead go to the priest. Why is that? Because Jesus doesn't want to be misunderstood. We saw in chapter 1 that things are building up and up and up, and there's all this fame, and getting a bit distracting at times. He doesn't want to be misunderstood about what sort of Messiah he is. He doesn't want all this fame. It isn't helping. And the leper needs to follow the cleansing laws to be pronounced officially clean. And I love what uh, the former bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, has to say on this passage about how the leper may have felt. He sums it up so well for us. Listen to this. Who can conceive the greatness of change in the feelings of this leper when he found himself healed? The morning sun rose upon him, a a miserable being, more dead than alive. His whole frame a mass of sores and corruption, his very existence a burden. The evening sun saw him full of hope and joy, free from pain and fit for society and of his fellow men. Surely the change must have been like life from the dead. Let us bless God that the Savior with whom we have to do is almighty. It is a cheering thought that which Christ nothing is impossible. No heart disease is so deep-seated, but he is able to cure it. No plague of soul is so virulent, but our great physician can heal it. Let us never despair of anyone's salvation so long as he lives. The worst of spiritual lepers may yet be cleansed. Mark is demonstrating to us in this section what forgiveness looks like. Through the cleansing of the leper, the man who's once on the outside becomes inside. And notice where Jesus is in verse 45. Jesus now on the outside in the lonely places, in the desolate places. Jesus cleansed the leper and brought the outsider inside because one day Jesus himself would go outside the camp 
to a cross and bear the wrath of his sin. How could Jesus say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, stand up and walk. You need not rely on others like you do now. Because one day Jesus would be lowered, not from a room, but from a cross and carried to a tomb by two of his friends after buying forgiveness of sin. What about this third story here? How does this demonstrate the forgiveness we see at the start of chapter 2? We'll have a look at verse 13. Jesus goes on, he's teaching. Teaching, repent and believe. In verse 14, he meets Levi, this tax collector. Tax collectors were despised people taking large sums of money, a bit for the occupying oppressive government, a bit for themselves on the side, all taken from their own countrymen, their own flesh and blood. They were despised people. Do we have sympathy for the leper being cleansed? Yes, I think we do. Do we have sympathy for the paralytic having his sins forgiven? Yes, I think we do, but Levi? Do we want Levi to be forgiven? The enemy of the people to be forgiven? Well, that's a much more bitter pill to swallow. And what we see in these verses here is a shock to the Pharisees, a shock to the disciples, and a shock to us. This guy, Levi, he's high risk. He's in with the Romans. Jesus has just started this whole kingdom of God thing preaching around. He could be a whistleblower. This whole thing could come tumbling down. Do we want to risk it with Levi? Why forgive him? Why call him Jesus? Why trust him? But really, are we not all high risk? It is God's job alone to save, not ours. He will hand out forgiveness to whoever he wishes. And that's wonderfully liberating news for us. What made Levi leave his old life for this new one? What do we see here in the text? Well, we see the power of God in the gospel, the power of the call. Jesus says, follow me. And he left everything. He heard the voice of a shepherd calling his name and he followed him. The gospel can turn someone's life on a head in an instant, or in a year, or in 10 years, or 50. One of my favorite memories when I was serving in a church in Edinburgh was this lovely 80-year-old woman becoming a Christian, becoming a member in the church. It's the power of God in the gospel to save that gives us confidence in our evangelism. That when he calls someone, as we speak to them about Jesus, they will come. And if we fuse these two truths together, it will liberate us in our evangelism. As we tell people about Jesus, it won't be systematic working out who's more likely to become a Christian, who's less likely to become a Christian. But instead, we'll live transparently and let God work. We'll share the gospel freely with people we meet and trust in it that God will be the one who works. It means that we are free to strike up conversations with everyone and anyone to talk to them about Jesus. There's a guy called Graham, Graham Daniels, who's the director of Christians and Sport, and he's a big, exuberant Welshman. I just find him so helpful in evangelism. Forgive my accent. He says, Don't be weird, just be normal. Tell them about Jesus. That's a normal thing to do. And that's what happens in evangelism. Sometimes we, we just get a bit weird. You think, How can we move on to Jesus? But as if you trust that it's God who saves in salvation, as we speak to others, 
Whether they're saved or not, that is entirely God's work. And look what Levi does here in verse 15. Another outworking of forgiveness. Levi follows Jesus and he's liberated to serve Christ. Look at what he does. He opens up his home. He, he serves others. In some ways, it's sort of a small early prototype of the church. People with a common identity of forgiveness in Christ. Now in fellowship with one another. Men and women. Rich and poor. People who were once on the outside, but are now on the inside, sitting and eating with Lord Jesus Christ. There's no more seat more wonderful, is there, than a seat at the Lord's table. To be forgiven in Christ may mean we are on the outside in the world. It means that we are invited inside to sit and eat with the Lord and be cleansed from all that once made us wretched. To be forgiven means that there's no second-class Christian in the church. There's no inner circle. There's no racial divide. There's no class divide. Forgiveness is our greatest need. Forgiveness is found in Christ alone. It brings people in. And finally, forgiveness is at the heart of Jesus' mission. Have a look at verse 17 at the end of our passage. If you are sick, you need a doctor. Doctors treat those that are sick to make them well. But usually you only see a doctor when you acknowledge that you are sick. You don't ring up a GP, ask to see them just because it's Tuesday. You usually go with a problem because you're ill. Jesus says he is, he is here to help those who are sinners. But only those who recognize that they are sinners and need forgiveness can be helped. This is why Jesus says he came I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. As I was preparing the sermon through the week, I was mulling over how should I end. I was chatting with some colleagues about it. I was saying, actually, we think, Craig, you probably should say something here about social justice. Perhaps that's what some people are thinking. I think it probably is worth saying something about social justice, social action, which I hope doesn't distract from anything in the message. I'm all for social justice. As Christians, we should care about it. But achieving social justice wasn't Jesus' primary concern here, nor is it the primary mission of the church. It's an outworking of the gospel. And the needs of social justice are urgent. They need to be addressed. But Jesus came primarily to deal with what is important, what is of utmost importance. He came to call sinners, to call sinners to repent and believe in him. But notice as Jesus does that in these stories, in people's encounters with Jesus in the gospel, he usually never leaves them as they are. The leper was cleansed, the paralytic walked, the tax collector found community, but the most important issue was always dealt with, this issue of sin and forgiveness. Forgiveness is our greatest need. It's found in Christ alone. It brings people in, and forgiveness is at the heart of Jesus' mission. Let's pray. Our Father, we take great delight that we come before you having our sins forgiven and known in Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that forgiveness is found in you alone. 
Thank you for calling us from death to life into your marvelous light to send us back out to tell the nations how glorious you are. And as we leave this place and as we mull over and meditate upon what we have looked at, may you help us to grow in the seriousness of our sin and grow in understanding the majesty and the beauty of the forgiveness we have in you. Lord Jesus, may you be the delight of our hearts. So Lord Jesus, we ask all these things in your name before our Father. Amen.